0: So let's go to Hebrews 11, and I want to read verse 3 to you, okay? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what was seen was made out of things which, which was, that which was made out of things invisible or made out of things, how am I reading that? I'm here, are we there? So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible, so we know in Hebrews we call it the Hall of Faith. You know, when you start reading down here, it starts naming all these remarkable t- people who did incredible things. You know, in verse 4 we talks about Abel, in verse 5 it talks about Enoch, in verse 7 it talks about Noah. Verse 8 is Abraham, verse 11 is Sarah, verse 17 is Abraham again. Verse 21 is Jacob, 22 is Joseph, 23 is Moses, 24 is Moses, 31 is Rahab, and then it goes Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel. I mean, there's this incredible biography that God is laying out about not just what faith did, but how faith works. And the first person on that list is in verse 3. It's God. It's how God used faith, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. But before we get there, I want to jump to the end of the chapter. You ever ever open an envelope, you ever get mail at home or something, and it's a letter or something, you kind of jump to then, you're like, what's this about? And then you go back and fill it in. That's how I read the Bible. I'm like, okay, I want to know what the end story here, and I want to put all my facts in context. And there's something about faith that we really need to understand, and that's in verse 39 and 40. Let's read that. And all these, speaking of all those people I just read about and others, having gained approval through their faith. Stop right there. The ultimate purpose of faith is to have approval with God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I know faith brings about desired things and desired blessings. That's the outworking of faith. But in my relationship with God, I'm a believer. I'm called to believe. Believers believe. Okay? So I gain approval. I gain favor with God. God wants me to believe him. God wants me to trust him. They gained approval through their faith, did not receive what he promised. There's a place in God, listen to me, where faith is its own reward. I can tell you that there are circumstantial outcomes that have disappointed me in my life as a believer. But as I, call, I can also tell you that I've never been disappointed in trusting God even when it didn't work out like I really thought it should. That is that place of divine faith, where we just enjoy our relationship with God. God, I enjoy trusting you. I enjoy putting myself out there, and I'm leaving the rest of that to you. Are you with me? This passage talks about people that died for their faith. Do you understand that? They trusted God even to the giving of their life. Those were not the circumstances they desired, but they rejoiced that they were sons and daughters of God and got to trust him and use their faith to please him and be approved by him. That's the ultimate outworking of faith. That's the end goal of faith that we've got to really identify with and understand it. So I want to walk through verse 3 here. Let's just go back to verse 3, and we're just going to walk through that, just kind of sentence by sentence. So he says here, by faith we understand that the world's repaired by the word of God. By faith we understand, we comprehend, we agree, is what it means. The first revelation of God in the Bible is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created the beginning so man could mark his progress. Okay? God always was, he always shall be. There is no there is no time with God. Time was something God invented for man so that we could mark our days, so that we could number our days so that we could have wisdom in the beginning. So if you're gonna have faith, you gotta have faith in not a little G God, but a big G God. You gotta have faith in the creator of the universe. This is not like having faith in the government or having faith in the doctor or having faith in the banker. Okay? This is talking about the God who created the cattle on a thousand hills, and if he needs some more thousand hills, he'll just create those two. So he starts this chapter by getting us. He said, by faith we understand. In, in legal terms, it's called stipulating to the facts. You know, sometimes there'll be a trial, criminal trial, civil trial, and each side will stipulate, oh, these things actually happened, but now we might debate on why they happened or who was liable for all that. But these are the facts that happened. So what he's saying to us right now is, if you're going to operate in faith, you've got to stipulate to the facts. You've got to observe, you've got to look around at the world, and you've got to come into agreement with God that we did not evolve out of primordial soup, but we were developed, we were, we were called into being, we were created by a loving Heavenly Father. So what that means for me is that no matter what the circumstances of my conception are, or the circumstances of my life are, as I sit here today, that I'm not a mistake. I'm a divine creation of Almighty God. Okay? We have to understand. By faith, we understand the worlds were prepared for him. You know, sometimes we have... uh, evolutionary thinking. I'm not talking about the doctrine of evolution right now. I'll get to that in a minute. But sometimes in the church we have evolutionary thinking. We think things are just going to happen. We separate cause and effect. And the Bible is full of the rules of God, the universe of God. You know, if an unbeliever climbs up on this roof and jumps off, gravity's going to work. If a believer climbs up on this roof and jumps off on the roof, the same gravity is going to work. If an unbeliever... And a, and a believer go outside in the rain, they're both going to get wet. Do you understand that? There is a divine cause and effect. Yet as a pastor, many times I would see people that sat in church for years and they could not connect the dots on why certain things were happening in their life. They seemed to deny the cause and effect of God. Are you with me? They didn't believe in the Big Bang Theory, they just believed in the little poof theory. Like poof, it's going to happen. Okay? When there's no consistency on what they were believing for or how they were acting or what they were doing to sow into the kingdom of God. What you sow is you reap. That's a divine law. Amen? We have to understand that God invented those laws. So the first thing that God is telling us here about faith, the first description comes from Him. We must understand that the worlds were prepared. By the word of God. That God is a creator. Now to the doctrine of evolution. While well, I have the opportunity. So I'm reading, and one guy says sharks are 200 million years old. Another guy says they're 400 million years old. Well, yeah, what's 200 million years between friends? Now I want you to think about this. You know, one of the rules of science is, is it observable and is it repeatable? That's one of the ironclad rules of science. But when it comes to evolution, they throw that, because number one, nobody was there to observe it, okay? And they can't repeat it and make it observable. They can't make that happen again, okay? One mathematician said the chances of evolution would be a one with 2,650,000 zeros behind it. I don't even know what a million zeros looks like, let alone two million six hundred fifty thousand zeros. In other words, it it flies in the face of God, and and I think sometimes in church we embrace things, we don't challenge things, and we and we realize we are slapping the Creator in the face to look at the world and say, God, this just kind of happened. This just one day there was just a lightning strike, and all of a sudden all this was created. You know what? If you got that kind of faith, you got more faith than I got. Are you with me? You got faith in, in something completely different. I believe in a literal creation because I believe in a literal God, that there really is a God who spoke the worlds into existence. They created seven days. He created light. They created darkness. They created the water. They created the land by design, not by happenstance. And this is really important to understand because when you approach God in faith, that's the God you're approaching. You're not approaching a God who things just evolve around you. You're not a victim of circumstances. You're not just waiting for something to happen. We're engaging God because he's a creator and he has the ability and desire to make things happen even as he's spoken to us. He created The the world. He created the heavens and earth. The worlds were prepared by him. I like what the King James says here. It says he framed the world with his words, he framed it, he put the world in context with his words. You know, part of having a Christian worldview is putting the world in context with what God says about it. You have to understand that. That's 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 really really important, and we need to grab that. Uh, The Bible teaches us that the world is sustained, not just started by the word of God, but sustained by the word of God. The word world here doesn't just mean a physical aspect, it means a time aspect. It means the ages. A lot of of Bible translations say he created the ages with his word. You know, Marconi, the inventor of the radio, had this bizarre idea. People thought he had lost his mind. He believed scientifically that when somebody spoke a word, that that word was out there forever and could be captured. And that's how the radio came to be. He literally literally proved that that was possible. For one person to speak here and for a slight time delay, for it to be captured. Think how crazy that is. If somebody just came up with this. You You know what Marconi's dying wish was? the inventor of the radio, he believed scientifically, and this is true from what I understand, I've read some about it, that words never die. They get absorbed. They get broken into particles. But the, the, the words are out there. His quest was to capture the words of Jesus. He said he would consider it his greatest compliment if he could hear the Sermon on the Mount from the lips of Jesus. He believed those words were out there. And there is science to that, that those words continue to echo and they are out there. And I believe, by the way, just as Jesus, you know, framed the world with his words, I believe we also frame our world with our words. I believe our words are out there. I would be so bold as to say this, that sitting here today, we are the product of our words. That the words that we have accepted, the words we have repeated, the words we have allowed people to speak over us have to some degree really formed our life. You know, Hebrews, or the first chapter, the third verse says this, he, up, he upholds all things by the power of his word. Colossians 1.17 says, he is before all things and in, in him all things hold together. How about 2 Peter? Put this one up there. 2 Peter 3 7. This is very interesting because it comes into this creator evolution thing. By his word, the present heavens, present. When did he create the earth? 6,000 years ago. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved or sustained for fire. There's going to come an end. The earth is going to end someday. And it's not going to be because we have an evolutionary crisis. Can I just tell you that? It's not going to be because we have an environmental crisis. It's going to be God, because God says, okay, time's over, we're going to start again. Boy, there are going to be a lot of surprised people. It's reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. God controls time, and God will sustain the planet. Do you understand that? Now, does that mean we should pollute the rivers and, and do bad stuff to the environment? No, we should, be, we should be stewards like that just like we are with anything else. But can I tell you something? That there is no empirical evidence whatsoever that man has anything to do with controlling the, envir- the, uh, controlling the, the climate. Did you know that? There's theories. You know, we've had ice ages before. We've had heat waves before. We've only been measuring temperature for about 125 years. But we have history data of people recording great periods of heat increase. But there's no evidence that man can control. You know what that is? That's called arrogance. That's called arrogance. So we have all these people running in fear. Why am I hammering this point? Because we must understand that God is the creator. And God has created this planet to sustain human growth. He said be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We've come nowhere near that. You know, we use less farmland today than we did 50 years ago to feed triple the population. Why? Because science continues to evolve. Technology continues to evolve. You know, the the ability to transport and and fertilize and all these things we do now. Man is the solution to the earth's problems, not the enemy of the earth. Why? Because God's a creator. God loves life. And one of the first rules of God is that things reproduce. The first rule you find in the Bible in Genesis 1 is things reproduce after their own kind, right? So oranges produce oranges, apples produce apples, people produce people. Isn't it amazing that we are in a cultural debate about the origin of human life when God made that very clear a long time ago? People can only reproduce people. When we used to do pro-life debates years ago, they don't, they don't do those debates anymore because they have nothing to debate. Because it's a proven fact that life starts at conception. That's the science. There's, there's no debate about that. The debate now is that somebody has the ability to take that life. So when we would do those debates, I would usually start by asking, sometimes it would be on a college campus, and we'd have a professor or some student leader or something, and, and so I would start the debate almost by always asking this question, It's a very fun question. I would say, sir or ma'am, whoever they are, I would say in the history of humankind, from all the continents of the world, in all the history of mankind, can you identify one woman who was ever pregnant with anything but a person? Is there a lady out there that had a baby toaster? No. Why? Because it's the law of God. Things reproduce after their own kind. Okay? So God is saying to us, he's saying in that very verse 3 we talked about, we must understand That he is the creator of all things. And that there are laws of the universe and there are laws of faith that we're going to talk about this morning. Of how faith is used and how faith is engaged. And the first thing we talked about is faith is the thing that pleases God. So no matter what's happening, see that's really good news because no matter what's happening in your life today, no matter what mistakes you've made in the past, no matter what you shoulda, woulda, coulda, today you can be completely pleasing to God by having faith in him and saying, God, I trust your ways. I'm going to obey you. That puts you on an equal plane with, with everybody else. That opens up the treasure of God's inheritance to you for everything that he has for you. So God created, he says here, the visible with the invisible. He framed the worlds with his words. Now, people say, well, Pastor Keith, are you one of those people that believe in positive confession? Absolutely. Why would you cling to negative? Why would you fight for your negative confession? Now, I don't believe in mind over matter. I believe in God over matter. Okay? See, faith is not calling those things that are as though they be not. Faith is calling those things that be not as though they are. So to walk in faith, I don't have to say, I'm not having this problem. I'm just saying that God is the answer to that problem. I don't have to deny a symptom. I can confess the cure. Do you understand me? God is not afraid of facts, but faith trumps that in Jesus' name. So yeah, I don't, and I don't believe in a man-made confession. I believe in confessing God's word. Let's look at one quick verse to give you the spirit of this. Look at 2 Corinthians with me real quick. Okay, now no, notice what he says here. But having the same spirit of faith. Stop right there. So one thing we learn about faith is faith is spirit. Faith is spiritual. Right? That Hebrews 1, I, I read Hebrews 11.3, but Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the evidence or the substance of things not seen. So what that tells me is that faith is spiritually tangible. That if we could see into the spirit room right now, if we could take our little drywall saw out and cut a chunk of the spirit zone out, we could. if faith was in the room, we could tangibly grab it. Faith is not imaginary, it's spiritual. Faith is not intellectual, it's spiritual. Faith has spiritual substance that can move a mountain. That's why you've been in meetings and you've sensed the spirit of courage, of faith rise up in you because there was a spirit of faith moving. And I would just say this as a side thought when that happens, see, that happens to me a lot. I'll be in a worship service. And, and the spirit, I sense the spirit of faith, and my faith begins to get stirred up. It's like the sugar in the bottom of the iced tea. It's there, but faith starts stirring it up, and you start tasting. You need to pull the trigger when that happens. It's like Jesus troubling the waters. When that, you need to jump in when that happens. That's God doing something. That's a spiritual reality. Faith is spiritual, not intellectual. It's not sentimental. It's not circumstantial. It is a spiritual substance, just like fear is. Fear, the Bible says, is a spirit. They are opposite spirits. Are you with me? Okay. So he says, having the same spirit of faith. According to what is what? Say it with me. Written. Where does the spirit of faith come? From what I feel? From what my circumstances tell me? From my own made up confession or ambition? No, from what is written. When the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness, I think Jesus was tired. I think he was hungry. I think he was thirsty. I think he felt everything the devil was accusing him of feeling. Hello? But you know what Jesus said? It is written. He confessed the word of God. He said what the word of God has to say. And God wants us to saturate our spirit with the word of God, of what God has to say, especially of what God has to say about us. Listen to me. There are people in this room today that you've allowed the words spoken over you by other people to frame your world. God is jealous over that. God says, I want to be Lord of your life. I don't want that other person being Lord of your life. I don't want that person that broke your heart and rejected your life and cheated you and lied to you and defrauded you. I don't want them being Lord of your life. I don't want them leading your life. I don't want them painting your destiny. I want that. I bought that. I own that. I own you. I created you. I know what's best for you. I want you to listen to what I have to say about you. That's what I'm talking about, confessing the word of God. What does God say about me? And not just acknowledging what God says about me, but me saying what God says about me. So I can look at you, and I can tell you what God says about you, and you can say amen. That's okay. That's not bad. I'd recommend it. But when you say, this is what God says about me, and you say it out loud, watch it. He said, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, not therefore I listened. I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about this church right now? What do you, I believe you're going to have a greater and bigger swath in this community. I believe your facility is going to be better than ever. I believe your leadership team is going to be more diverse. It's going to be more powerful. There's going to be more spiritual gifts. That's what I believe. Okay? I don't believe what the banker says. I don't believe what the insurance company says. I don't believe what the zoning officer says. I don't deny what they say. I just choose not to believe them. I believe what God says. I believe what, what Gabriel said. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. What's the next question, Mr. Devil? That's the simplicity of faith. It's not the warfare of faith. We're going to get there in a couple minutes here. I want, I want, to, I want to get to you to the understanding that when you're confessing, you're confessing the Word of God. Listen to me. Let me say this as plainly as I can. The best preacher you're ever going to hear is you. You. You folks, are, you got a heritage of good preachers. You don't like for good preachers. That's not the problem. But your heart is tuned to hear your mouth. And when you start saying to yourself what God said about you, faith starts being stirred in a dimension. Are you hearing me? You can get up here and you can hear my wife talk about understanding how loved you are by God, and that can warm your heart. But when you start looking at the mirror in your most unlovely moment and say, God, I'm so glad I'm still loved by you. I'm so glad, God, that your love is covenantal. You haven't changed your mind about me today. Even when I've changed my actions towards you, you haven't changed your mind. When you start saying that, because the authority is not how you feel, but what the God who spoke the world into existence said, his word to you has as much power as when he said, let light be. And that word is out there. And if you've got a radio transmitter, you'll pick it up. Hallelujah. This is fun, isn't it? We get to frame it. We get to say it. We get to declare it. Not because we made it up, because we understand that God is the one and only creator and that his words are still out there. You know, I mean, just last week I was reading, they they found another universe. This is getting common. I mean, not a planet, not a meteor, not a star, another universe. God's word is still out there creating the ages, creating the world. And listen to me, God's word over you is still out there. Say, well, you know, I kind of... Well, join the human... Listen, God does not pull back his word. God is not reaching into eternity saying, I didn't mean that about you. I changed my mind. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about, getting in agreement with God. I believe, therefore I spoke. I confess what is written. What has God said? See, we read the rest of this chapter. We have these biographies, all these incredible faith people. But God is giving us insight into how he did it. He's the example that everybody else follows. They all had that in common. They believed he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They believed that he controlled the world. They believed that he would have the last word. They believed that he would answer to them. Hello? Hello? And they live like that and they talk like that. And they spoke and framed their world by the destiny that God had for them, not what some curse somebody had put over their life. Now, let's shift gears here a little bit, okay? I wanna to go to Romans 4. Now, in, in uh, Hebrews 11, Abraham is mentioned twice. In Galatians 3, we know that Abraham is our covenant, our covenant father of faith. We know if we go to Genesis like 17, 21, that area there, that Abraham is is positioned as the father of faith. He's going to be the guy who our inheritance flows through. He becomes the example, okay? So I want to know how he did that. Like how did he engage the faith battle? How did he capture the spirit of faith? How did he resist the spirit of fear? Because faith is not without opposition. Everybody should say amen. Okay? Faith is not without opposition. Every time I've attempted to move in faith, the devil hadn't just said, oh well. Or my flesh hasn't just said, oh well. Or the circum you know, it's it's been a battle. And I'm telling you, there's times I believed and I've not seen what I believed for, but I've never been sad that I believed. Do you understand that? Because it was about God, not about a thing. This is very important. So let's read Romans four eighteen and 19. And hope against hope. This is talking about Sarah getting pregnant in her old age, right? So that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now let's put this in context. So Abraham's name was what before it was Abraham? It was Abram. So God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to change your name. And now Abraham means the father of any nations, only there's one problem, they're old, they've never had kids. So God begins, listen, to call those things that be not as though they are. God hangs a name on Abraham. So Abraham goes and, you know, he's going through the era of the Chaldeans and he's just you know, chasing his goats around, and somebody sees him and says, what's your name? He says, oh, my name's Abraham. And they go, where are your kids? He goes, I don't have any. (laughs) What's your name again? (laughs) Abraham. Well, that's the father of man. Well, I'm I'm just telling you what God said. That's how God sees me. God sees me as fruitful. And that guy walks away and says, man, that guy's operating on another plane. Exactly. So Abraham, every time he says his name, he's confessing God's promise over his life. Every time you say, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, you are opening yourself up. Every time you see yourself like God sees you, instead of all your imperfections and your flaws and your weakness and your weirdness and all that other stuff, I know you're weird. You don't need to hide it from me, okay? You're confessing God's word. You're putting out there what God has declared. You're giving God something to work with. You're agreeing with him. You're coming into agreement. But to do that, it can't just be mental. It's spiritual. So it's got to be in your spirit. So that when you're aggravated and you're agitated, that's what comes out of you. Are you with me? Someone asked me how I'm doing. I always tell them I'm better than I deserve because that's what I believe. I believe God's favor in my life is greater than anything I could ever earn. Hallelujah. That's just what's in me, all right? Now, I want you to notice a portion here. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. So God comes and gives him a word. He's about 100 years old, and God says, you're going to have a lot of babies. And Abraham's looking, I don't know, I don't know, God, about this, right? Right? Now, that's, that's how the New American Standard translates it. Now, let's look at how the King James translates it. This is very interesting. And not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Did you catch that? The New American Standard says he considered his own body. The King James says he considered not his own body. So years ago, I'm reading this, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm get, I got all my Greek study tools out, you know, I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm more confused than ever. So I call my Greek tutor, Ed Lothar, he's going to be with the Lord now, but Ed taught Greek at university level. So I call it up on the phone, I said, Ed, I'm trying to figure this out. He goes, oh, he knew exactly what it was. He, he, he starts walking me all through the Greek construct. He said, this is one of the most beautiful pictures. This is an incredible use of language. I said, well, which one's right? He said, they're both right. I said, Brother Ed, how can they both be right? He said, listen, this is what it means. He said, and having considered, he considered not. He said, yeah, you're right, God. I'm 100 years old, and I can't have a baby, and I've considered that. But now I'll take your word, and I'll consider that over mother consideration. <laughs> so this is what you've got to grasp. Faith does not deny the reality of your facts. Faith says, okay, I've I've been in a doctor's office where the doctor said some things to me, and I considered it, and then I considered it not. I've been in the banker's office where they said some facts to me, and I considered it, and then I considered it not. I didn't say, oh, that's not true, that's not factual. I just considered that somebody else had something else to say about it. I've been in the lawyer's office where I've considered what they had to say, and then I walked out and I considered what God had to say. I've been in front of federal judges, and I considered what they had to say when they said, if you don't stop it, we're going to take your house, we're going to take your church, we're going to take your pension, we're going to take your firstborn kid. And I considered everything they had to say. And then I walked out of there and I said, okay, God, you have the last word of my life. Not the judge. You're the king of all judges. You created judges. You mock unrighteous judges. So considering he didn't consider. How many married people we have in this room? Okay, now I'm gonna give you some marriage therapy here. So how many times have you had a conversation with your spouse and you laid out your case? And they looked you right at the eye and you didn't win the argument. Right? So having considered, they didn't consider. This is helpful. This is therapy. I should get an extra offering for this. No, I want you to watch this. So a couple years ago, my dear wife says to me, we should put a pool in. So where we live... My daughter lives next door to us, and then we live, and then my next son and my next son, four of us in a row. It's wonderful. Ten grandchildren under nine years old in those houses right there. So my grocery budget goes up. We have a snack budget, you know. Penny wants to put a pool in. I'm thinking, okay, how much water is this? How many dryer loads of towels? You know, the grass? I mean, I'm, you know, this is how I'm thinking, you know. And so she presents, she does her homework, because she knows me. She does her homework, presents the whole thing, and I look at it, and I'm not moved at all. I considered everything she had to say. See, well, you're not open. I said, no, I considered it. I just didn't consider it then. Having considered it, I didn't consider it. Is this helping anybody? Isn't it funny then people start speaking louder. No, I, no, no, I heard you. I'm just not in agreement. <laughs> so about a week later, she comes to me and says, I know we had this conversation, but I really want you to hear me. I said, you're misunderstood. I heard everything you had to say, and I considered it, and then I didn't consider it. <laughs> I'm using that as an illustration to get you to understand that is how faith works in your life. The enemy will come to you and present to you a list of reasons or pseudo-facts, sometimes they're not even facts, but sometimes they are, why he wants you to consider them more than you consider the Word of God. That is the battle for faith. And every man or every woman that has seen God supernaturally intervene in life, has seen miraculous power, has seen God's supernatural favor manifest, they've gone through that consideration gauntlet. I hear what you're saying. I mean, when that judge was threatening me to take everything I own, I heard what he was saying. I wasn't immune to that. My spirit was rising up fighting a spirit of fear because I knew I was going to have to answer to God. Are you with me? That wasn't willpower. That was the spirit of faith. Because I had a mandate from God. When we were in Kharkov just, you know, two months ago, and literally the ground would shake when the rockets would hit. You know, I mean, I gotta tell you honestly, I had made up my mind ahead of time I wasn't gonna be afraid. I had considered what God, either I'm on a mission from God or I'm not on a mission from God. It's one or the other. Are you on a mission from God? Are you here by mistake? Did God just drop you in this church to amuse him? Well, he might have for some of you. That could be true. <laughs> but having considered, I didn't consider. Now, i got to tell you the end of the story, because the end of the story is miraculous, the pool, the pool story. So finally, we, we go through this, and this is like a couple-year process. So finally, we agree that we're going to do an above-ground pool. And my one son says, oh, I'll help invest in it. And my other daughter says, I'll help invest in it. Because I know it's not just going to be pool. I know it's going to be a deck. And it's going to be a playground. And it's going to be a fence. And it's going to be a sliding board. And it's going to be a solar cover. You know how it goes. I might as well build a house. I know what's going to happen here, okay? My wife, I tell her, she never met a wall she didn't want to move. When she looks at a house, and I say, honey, we can't move that wall. She goes, what does that mean? It, it, it doesn't even, she considers and doesn't consider. Just completely doesn't hear a word I said. She's got a vision. She's going to go after it. So my oldest son, who lives at the end of the street, he's mocking us, literally, because he, he, he can get... Uh, he's mocking all of us. You're going to put a pool in. You can go right down the street. There's a community pool because you know it'll take you 500 years to recoup your investment. It's not good for... And he's, he's a business guy. He's going through all the reasons. Like, this is the stupidest idea you ever did. And he said, I'm not investing a penny in it. I knew if we did it, he would. So we decide... To put the pool in. I even put a little deposit on the above ground pool. And gee whiz, guess what happens? They're out of stock and they can't get the pool. What a terrible break. I was so disappointed. I could hardly you know, keep from crying. Several, I mean, time. how long has this process been? Three, at least two and a half, three years? Something like that. So here we are, the beginning of September, September, the beginning of August this year. A month ago, my oldest son announces that he's putting a built-in pole in on his property, a big one, 20 by 40, at his expense. He's paying for the whole thing. You talk about deliverance! Hallelujah! <laughs> Literally, while we were here, I mean, they poured the they poured the deck all around that. I mean, he's going first class, honey. I mean, everything. I mean, everything. That's God. I'm so glad I considered and didn't consider. Are you with me? See, sometimes, I mean, it's a very, you know, maybe humorous illustration, but it's literally how faith works. You're always going to hear when you're engaged in a faith battle, the enemy, your flesh, or the world, because you have three oppositions, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Not everything's the devil, you know, but a lot of it is. You know, when I was being trained for ministry, I had a guy spoken in my life. He said, Keith, in your journey, there are people who are going to tell you there's a devil behind every bush. Don't believe them. There's two. <laughs> but you got the world, you got the flesh, and you got the devil, and you got to fight those things. But you've got to know what the Word of God is to consider it. One of your first responsibilities as a believer is to know what the Bible says about you and God's relationship with you. Not what Pastor Chris says, what you understand. You got to take what he says and then say, I got to say that to myself because your spirit is tuned to hear your words. Your words are framing your future. It's not sacrilegious for me to say to you today, there are people here, you're eating the fruit of your lips. And if you want to eat different fruit, you need to change what you're speaking. And speak what, I'm not talking about making fantasies up. I'm talking about saying what God says about you. It's in black and white. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Just start there. Are you with me?